My name is Matt Bell. I'm the pastor here, and it's so great to have you here with us this balmy June uh, Sunday morning. Uh, we are continuing our series this morning in the book, no, not the book, uh, in the, uh, I don't know, whatever it is, the series we're calling Seek First. Usually we're in a book of the Bible, but we're doing a thematic series uh, this, this summer. So our summer series called Seek First. Everybody say, Seek First. And uh, we're going to be looking again at part three today of seeking first the kingdom of God in our marriages from Ephesians chapter five. Now, if you've been with us the past several weeks, you know that I've been trying to get to Ephesians chapter five for at least two weeks now and haven't able been, been able to get to it yet. Um, but we're going to get there this morning. So look at your neighbor and say, finally, finally, we're going to get there this morning. Now, you want to hear something crazy, just, just nuts, just unbelievable that happened to me this week? Well, even if you don't, I'm going to tell you. So this, this past week, you know, I've been trying to get to Ephesians 5, and I haven't been able to get there. And we had VBS going on at the church uh, this week, and we had a really great uh, time of VBS. And man, our VBS workers, they just did a fantastic job, first-rate VBS. Awesome team, incredible job of ministry to children this week. And um, I was in a closet looking for something and um, came across uh, this ancient artifact here. Um, some of you will recognize this. It's, it's a very rare and ancient uh, heirloom. It's a tape player. A portable tape player and you can like listen to stuff on it it's it's really a cool thing um, this one can also record on it you know it's it's very high-tech um, it's the size of a brick um, and so not only can you use it to play tapes you could also use it in self-defense if ever you were attacked you could kill someone with this thing I'm not joking this is substantial Anyway, um, I came across this tape player, and I, I said, wow, look at that. That's incredible. Look at how big it is and bulky. And I hit play on it to see if it would work, and the batteries will, were still working. And wow, that's incredible, right? I mean, batteries that still work, and who knows how long it had been there. I dusted it off. And Well, also in this closet, are, it's the archive room uh, for all of the tapes that we used to record our church services on. Thousands of tapes are, are there. We, we've been recording these church services now for, you know, at this location on tape for over 30 years from the 70s, you know, before it switched on to, you know, recording on CD and digital. So we've got thousands of tapes from my grandfather teaching and his radio program and my dad preaching and teaching. And so I thought, you know what, this tape works. I'm going to grab one of these tapes and I'll listen to it on my way home from work. And so I grabbed the tape. It has no title on it. I just random tape. I stuck it in there and I hit play. And it was, I kid you not, I hand on the Bible, I promise you. It was my grandfather teaching on marriage from Ephesians chapter 5. The very, the very passage that we've been trying to do. Yeah, it's just, I'm still like, 
you know, what are the odds of this? You know, one in several thousand. It's just really bizarre. And anyway, so we are going to Ephesians chapter 5 today. I'm very excited about that. So we're continuing the series, though, called Seek First, and we get it from Matthew chapter 6, 33, where Jesus said, Seek first the kingdom of God. Let's read this together. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Now, I think you should memorize this verse. Amen? Uh, we're spending the summer uh, studying what it means to seek first the kingdom of God. And so I think that you should commit this verse to memory. I think that would be a great thing for you to do. But what this is, is Jesus Christ who taught this, and he, the Bible says, the author, the giver, the creator of life. This is the author of life teaching us to live our lives. This is the author of life teaching how life is to be lived. And so we should listen to this. We should pay attention to this. Jesus says that we shouldn't seek after monetary wealth or monetary possessions or, or only to advance ourselves in the culture or the, this world, but that we should be, as his people, seeking first after the kingdom of God. And what we've seen over the last several weeks is that this is not an issue of sequence, that first is not, well, I'll, I'll seek first the kingdom of God the first 15 minutes of my day, and then I'll live the rest of my day however I want. No, that's not seeking first. It's not, well, I'll go to church on the first day of the week, and then Monday through Saturday I can live like the devil. No, that's not what this is saying. What we've discovered is that it is a matter not of sequence, but a matter of priority, of heart priority, that in every area of our lives, we as God's people should be seeking after his kingdom to be expressed and manifest in our lives. And so the definition I've given you for the kingdom of God, you should be able to let me know that immediately, is, all right, three parts. Number one, it is God's people. Oh, oh yeah, that, oh yeah. It's God's people living in God's presence, experiencing God's rule and God's blessing. Now, how many of you are God's people? Amen. There's only one way to become one of God's people. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. The only way to be one of God's people is through faith in Jesus Christ. So how many of you are one of God's people? Amen. Secondly is God's presence. The Bible tells us now that we, the people of God, are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. That God's presence doesn't uh, reside in a physical location, but that God's presence fills his people today. You are a conduit of God's presence today, God's Spirit. And along with God's presence and Spirit comes God's power, empowered by God to live the life he's called us to live. And then thirdly, living under his rule and experiencing his blessing. Where is God's rule found? Well, in his word, of course. Amen? God's word teaches us how to live as his people, and then experiencing God's blessing is the righteousness, joy, peace, and love that we experience that is only manifest as we are his people living with his power under his rule and his authority. Now, you cannot 
live under God's authority and keep his law and keep his commandments. You cannot keep the commandments of God unless you're one of his people filled with his spirit, living in his power. It cannot be done. You can't keep the word of God without God's power in your life. You cannot do it. It will be an exercise in futility. Thankfully, we as God's people have God's power in our life, and we are able to keep his word and experience his blessing. So um, this final installment on, on kingdom marriage This is seeking after, seeking first God's kingdom in marriage and then experiencing God's joy in the home. How many of you want God's joy in your marriage and in your home? Amen. Peace in the home. Amen. Can I get an amen on some peace in the home? Love expressed. You know, the world, as we've seen, the world is opposite uh, to the kingdom of God. The culture of the world is opposite. It's, It's upside down from from God's kingdom. And so as we begin today to look at uh, what God's word has to say about marriage and about husband and wife living in marriage, what we're going to see is that for us to be able to do this, for husbands to be able to to fulfill what God has called us to do, for wives to be able to fulfill what God's called uh, you to do, you're going to have to do it with God's power. You cannot do it in your own strength. It cannot be done in your own strength, but it can be done with God's spirit and God's power. Now, we're going to be talking about some things today that uh, this may be the most controversial passage in the whole New Testament, maybe. Uh, So it is absolutely politically incorrect. I feel like I say that every Sunday. Um, So maybe I don't have to say that anymore. Maybe when I just say, welcome to Destiny Church, you should just understand it's going to be politically incorrect. Um, God's word, it, it, God's kingdom is just, it runs so, so counter to the culture of the world that we live in today. And so it, the world would, would look at what we're going to be talking about today and, and they would say that makes no sense to live that way, is what the world would say. The world would actually call this way of living crazy. You, what? That's crazy is what the culture would say. And you know what? I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that because what the world and our culture is doing with regard to relationships, marriage, sexuality, gender, it's not working. And so I have no problem with the culture and the world looking at us and saying that's crazy because let me tell you something, this works. What we're going to look at today, it works. It will work for you. It will work in your marriage. It will produce love and joy and peace in your home. Uh, It will produce harmony in your home. Your home can be a picture, a slice of heaven on earth. It doesn't have, it won't be that way all the time and it will take work, but it does work. Now, I wish I had time to recap the first two weeks that we've been over and, and to lay that foundation again. I haven't. If you're here for the first time today, Welcome. We're so glad that you're here. As always, you can go on our website and, and catch up, and, and I encourage you to do that if you've been missing. I've, I've tried to lay a f- solid foundation for what we're going to cover today. 
But uh, I want to look at Genesis 127, and I want to pick up right this morning where we left off last week. And let's pray before we do. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you are a God who speaks to us. I thank you, Lord, that, that we don't have to wonder and wander around in the dark, Lord, trying to figure out life. But, Lord, you have given us your word, which is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Lord, that your word teaches us the way that we should go and how that we should live and, 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 and the ways that we should pursue you and to what we should seek after in this life. And ultimately, Lord, your word shows us and teaches us and points us to your son, Jesus, who laid down his life for us that we could be saved and forgiven and redeemed and restored and have a right relationship with you, to be one of your people, to be filled with your presence, to live according to your word and to experience your blessing. God, I thank you for everything that you have for us in your word today. I pray that you would speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, I'm going to just pick up right where I left off last week, and let's look at Genesis 127. It says this, that God created man, that's mankind, humanity, in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Now, here's what you need to know and understand. Before we start talking about marriage, what we need to see very clearly is that God created humanity, men and women, male and female, men and women created equally in God's image. Men and women are equally created in the image of God. Amen. This means that men and women are equal in dignity, in value, and in worth as image bearers of the Most High God. Your value as a person does not come from the culture and what the world says about you and, and how much value the, the that, that the world could place on you, either for your intellect or your athletic ability or uh, your good looks or, or whatever gifts that you have. No, your value comes from God because he has bestowed upon you his image equally to both men and women. And so what this means is that men are not more valuable than women. It also means that women are not more valuable than men. Without both men and women working together, our species would cease to exist. This is not rocket science. For humanity to progress, to continue to have a future, we need both men and women. Amen. And the Bible tells us that they are created equal in God's eyes, as his image bearers. Equality is not an idea that comes from the culture. Equality is actually an idea of the kingdom. Some of you don't believe that. Listen, God has created men and women equal. Full stop, period, 100%. This is what the Bible says. This is what the Bible teaches. Now, in our culture today, there's a war going on between men and women. This is not God's design or plan. This is the work of Satan in our culture. 
bringing division between men and women. Where God's design is for there to be unity and blessing and love and mutual respect. Satan's job and what he's doing is he's bringing division, mistrust, and abuse. You know, the work of Satan is to steal, kill, and destroy. And so this gets expressed in our culture in two different polar opposite ideas. On one side, you have chauvinism. On the other side, you have feminism. You have people that ascribe to these ideals of, of, of a chauvinistic idea, or since we live in San Antonio, machismo, right? That, that men are superior to men, women, and they're therefore women's job is to be subservient and to serve men. That is not a godly idea. That's an evil idea. It's an idea from Satan. The other side is that that men are horrible and wicked and evil, and, and therefore if the world would just be a wonderful place if women were in charge, and that it's, it's women's job to rule the world, and if, if women were in positions of leadership, then everything would be fine and perfect, and that women should rule over men. That's feminism. So on the one hand, you have chauvinism and machismo, and the other hand, you have feminism. Both are wrong. Both say that one of the genders is superior in either intellect, value, or worth than the other, and it is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says that men and women are created equal, equally bearing God's image. And so as we come into marriage, we come in as equal partners, equal in God's eyes. God's desire for humanity is for men and women to work together in unity and in harmony. And so as we come to marriage, we need to understand that men and women are equal. Now, we also need to understand that while they are equal, they also are different. I don't know if you've noticed this. There are some key differences between men and women. Men and women are different biologically, physically. There's different parts and pieces on the inside and the outside. Men and women are equal and different. Men and women are also different psychologically and emotionally. We, we do not see the world always the same way. Typically, women are a little more in touch with their emotions. Men are a little bit more out of touch with their emotions. Men, women are typically more sensitive to the needs of, of the family and, and how to care for the children. And men are kind of like rocks when it comes to that. I mean, they, you know, they're alive and breathing. I mean, what more do you want? Wearing some clothes. I mean, some is better than none. I mean, men are typically a lot more dogmatic in their thinking, which can be good. It can be great. 
It can also be a problem. There are differences between men and women. And these differences you need to understand are by God's design. God's design that he says is very good. You see, our culture says that the differences between men and women are, are just social constructs that evolved over time, that, that they, they really have no meaning and purpose. But remember, you have to understand that our culture starts with a different framework of, of, of how we came to be as human beings. Our culture starts with there was no God, there is no creator, everything is chance, everything has come from nothing, and everything is going nowhere, there's no meaning, there's no purpose behind anything, that's our culture. The, the Bible says that no, we started with a creator who created the world with, with a certain design and, and forethought and, and purpose behind what he did, and, and that hu humanity and mankind is created in his image as equal parts but different for a reason and a purpose. And we need to be very careful if we listen to the culture's idea about gender and sexuality and marriage because they're coming from a godless framework. They're coming from a godless framework. We are not as Christians. We come from a totally different place. And so God says about mankind when he creates the woman, in Genesis 2.18, it says, the Lord said, it is not good that the man should be alone. Can I get an amen from the men in here? But I will make him, the Bible says, a helper fit for him. Now, some of you ladies, you will hear the, the, this idea of, you know, God calling women a helper, and you'll say, man, that seems demeaning, or that seems a little bit derogatory. Let me tell you, I promise you, it is not. You know who also is called a helper in the Bible? God. The Bible says that God is an ever-present help in time of need. Do you know what the, the third member of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit, you know what one of his names is? The helper. No one would look at that and say, oh, wow, the Holy Spirit's called the helper. I guess he has no meaning and value and worth within Christianity, within our faith, within our lives. We don't need the Holy Spirit. He's just the helper. No, no nobody would say that. So this idea of a, a helper is not a demeaning term. If anything, it's an elevating term. God himself calls him a helper. And so what this is saying is that humanity is created equal but different and that they are meant to uh, complement each other much in the same way as a right hand and a left hand are both somewhat the same but also different, and you need both. How many of you are right-handed? How many of you who are right-handed don't need your left hand, right? I mean, it's just stupid, right? Oh, my left hand is different, so I'm just going to cut it off. It's absurd. Like, no, we need both. And so this idea of a helper fit for him, it's something that's different and that it will fit together and work together to accomplish the God-given purpose that they have. And so as we look at these differences between men and women, what we need to understand is that they were not created by God to be divisions, but the differences are actually meant to bring us together 
in unity, complementing one another, and especially in marriage. And so as we look at the, the role of a husband and as we look at the role of a wife in marriage, we need to understand that though they are equal, they are different. Though men and women are equal and husbands and wives are equal in marriage, God has designed a specific role for each to function in and to play in the marriage. And if we will submit ourselves to God's rule and reign through his word, empowered by his spirit, in our marriage and in our home, we will experience the blessing of God. In our marriages. And if we rebel against God's word, well, let me tell you, nothing good happens when you rebel against God's word. Nothing good ever happens. So, finally, let's look at Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to look at 10 verses today. I'm going to read through it all together, and then we'll come back and uh, uh, look at what First, God has to say about wives, and then secondly, what God has to say about husbands. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Ladies, you're going to love this. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, Husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh." This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is God's word. Amen. This is God's instruction to married couples on how a marriage should function as a Christian. Now, remember I said at the beginning that the world will see this and they'll say this is crazy. We are not part of the world. Amen. We're not part of the world system. We're part of the kingdom of God. We're not, we don't have the world's thinking. We need to have the mind, the Bible says, the mind of Christ. And so as we come to this, I'm not prescribing for you a way in which marriage should function for people who are not Christians. Remember, I said that for you to be able to do this, you have to have the Holy Spirit. 
You have to do it in God's power. You can't do it in your own strength. Well, if you're not a Christian, you don't have the Holy Spirit. And if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you don't have the power to live this way. So I'm not giving a recipe for how people are to live in the world. This is a recipe for how God's children are to live and to function in marriage. Does that make sense? Now, the wife is told three times in this passage, verse 22, to submit to her own husband. Uh, Verse 22, also again, uh, in case you missed it the first time, the Lord underscores it. Well, like, well, what does that include, the wife would say. And, you know, he goes on to say, submit in everything to her husband. And finally, he says that in verse 33, that we are, the wives are to respect their husbands. Now, before I talk about what submission is, I need to talk about what submission is not, okay? First and foremost, submission is not only for women. Thank you. Submission is not only for women. All of us, men and women, are called and taught to submit to various different people and parties as Christians. So as Christians, we are instructed, even in verse 21 of this chapter, we are instructed, men and women as Christians, to submit one to another. To submit one to another as Christians in the body of Christ. Mutual submission. We're instructed, both men and women, in Romans chapter 13, verse 1, to submit to the governing authorities. The Bible teaches us that we, both men and women, have to pay our taxes as a way of submitting to the government that God has placed in our lives. In 1 Peter chapter 5, it's the, the younger are instructed to submit to the elders. In Hebrews chapter 13, 17, uh, the, the uh, people of the church are instructed to submit to your leaders because they watch for your souls. Church leadership are instructed to be submitted unto God's word. So we need to understand that submission is not just an idea for women, that submission is an idea for all of God's people. Amen. And ultimately, we must all be submitted to the Lord. Now, this text does not also, does, it is not also saying that all women are to submit to all men. This is speaking about marriage, Christian marriage. So, Men, if you, have a, a, if you work in a workplace and your boss is a woman, you can't go into work tomorrow and say, my pastor says I don't have to submit to you anymore. <laughs> if you do that, you will be fired. And you should be fired. And you'll be coming down here to pray for a new job next week. <laughs> and we'll pray for you. Because we love you. But don't be stupid, Okay. This is not saying that all women must submit to all men. This is saying that within a marriage, the, the wife must submit to her husband. Now, this text is also not teaching that women are subservient to men. This is not teaching male dominance. It's teaching male headship, and we'll look at what headship means when we look at the husband's role. But there's a big difference. It's not domination. Again, we're talking about within a marriage, not within a society. The Bible does not teach male dominance. 
It teaches male headship within marriage, and it's something that is totally different. It also does not mean that you do not have a vital role to play within the marriage. If the marriage is to be successful, it's going to take you and your effort and your contributions to it. It also doesn't mean that a wife never opens her mouth or that she doesn't have her own opinion or that she doesn't give advice to her husband. It doesn't mean any of those things. It doesn't mean that your opinions and thoughts do not matter. That's not what submission is. And if you don't believe that, just look at Proverbs chapter 31. Look at that woman and how she ran her household. She had her own thoughts and ideas on things. She got stuff done, right? So this idea that, that women have to you know, be silent in their marriage and, and never contribute or never talk or never have their own opinion or voice their own opinion is totally wrong and false and not what the Bible teaches. That is not submission. I am constantly, as a husband, constantly listening to the advice and the input of my wife, constantly. And I am a better man because of it. I'm a better husband and a better father because of it, because of her, because of her help. Just yesterday, for example, just yesterday we were making lunch in the kitchen and the children, I love my children, God bless them, they were seated at the table waiting on their food like they're the kings of the world. And as they sit there and wait, my older son, Judah, begins screaming and crying. I look over, and he's weeping, and Asher, my younger son, is sitting there with this stupid smirk on his face. I turn around. What happened? He pinched my nose. Asher's just sitting there, just the biggest dumb grin. So what do you do in that situation? Well, let me tell you what I did. I went over there and I grabbed Asher's little nose and I pinched that thing. This is what it feels like to have your nose pinched. Now Asher's screaming. Now Heather turns around. She says, did you pinch his nose? I said, yeah, I pinched his nose. She quietly says, as they're screaming, I'm, I'm trying to teach Asher not to retaliate. Oh. So, like, you know, don't, next time don't pinch his nose. Okay, yeah. Got it. Could have handled that better. Yeah? There's prob... There, yep, yeah, you're right, Heather. There's probably a better way to handle that situation. Message received. I'm going to be a better father for it. Next time I won't pinch his nose when he pinches his brother's nose. Okay, got it. Like we are constantly, husbands constantly should be listening to and taking input from our wives constantly. Amen. What does submission mean? Those are some things that it doesn't mean. What does it mean? The word submission, it simply means to bring yourself under someone's leadership. Submission is to bring yourself under someone's leadership. In, in this passage, the, the, 
one of the translation, the God's word translation says it this way, wives, place yourself under your husband's authority as you have placed yourself under the Lord's authority. Submission is an active role. It is not a passive role. It's, it does not teach that wives should obey their husbands. That's a passive role. Like just whatever he says goes and I won't even think about it and I'm just a slave. That is not what the Bible is teaching. The Bible does teach that children have to obey their parents. But that wives, he does not teach that wives obey your husbands. He says, wives, submit to your husbands. It is very different than simple obedience. It's to submit means to, to, to put someone else's will ahead of your own. And what it means is that wives are called to follow their husband's loving leadership. Submission means that you respect your husband as God's given authority in your life. And it means that in doing so, it, it's not trusting in your husband's wisdom, but you're trusting in God's wisdom. Because it teaches that you should submit to your husband, not because he's a great guy, not because he's super smart, not because he has it all figured out or he never makes mistakes. No, it simply says submit and do it as unto the Lord. That you, wives, recognize this is God's design, this is God's pattern, this is God's order, and that if I will bring myself under my husband's leadership that God has given him, his blessing will flow in our marriage and in our family. And it will. Ladies, it will. Trust me, it will. It's not trusting, again, in your husband's wisdom. It's trusting in God's wisdom. And so submission to your husband is an act of faith. It's an act of faith. Can I get an amen from the ladies? Amen. Like, okay, God, I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to trust in your word. I'm not trusting in him, in his ability, because he's a, flaw, a flawed and frailed and imperfect human being. Amen from the ladies. But God, I'm going to trust in something that is not flawed and that is perfect. God, I'm going to trust in you, and I'm going to trust in your word. And again, it's not something you do for your husband. It's something you do for the Lord and as unto the Lord. Now, let me put a couple caveats in here. There are some times when a wife should not submit to her husband. If the husband is leading the wife or the family into sin, the wife should not submit. We, we do not submit to any authority that would lead us into sin, whether it be from the government or from church leaders or from uh, our husbands in our families. We do not submit to authority leading us into sin. Because ultimately, we're under God's authority and the authority of the Word of God above all else. So you cannot submit when your husband is leading you into sin. You also cannot submit if you cannot do it as unto the Lord. If he's leading you to do something where you say, I just, I cannot, I cannot in good conscience and in good faith do that as unto the Lord. 
Also, a wife should never submit to her husband in something that violates her own conscience. If it violates your own conscience, if, if he's leading you and pressuring you and, and, and saying, look, we want, let's go do this, it'll be great. And you say, mm, I, I just, in my, in my conscience, I just don't feel right about this. You should not violate your own conscience. I'm not talking about little things in, in life. I'm talking about the big things in life. I'm talking about issues of, of, of how to raise the children and, and, and how to discipline the children and, and issues of, of, of where we will worship as a family and issues of what, what sort of occupation and, and all of these things. The big issues of life is where this comes into play. But if it violates your own conscience, if your husband's leading you into sin, even if he's a Christian or a non-Christian, you should not submit to him. You should love him. You should pray for him. You should talk with him about it. And wives, if your husband is leading you and your family into sin, that's like time where you get the church leadership involved. You come to the church leadership and say, look, look, this is how our husband is leading our family. And then we come around and lovingly uh, encourage him to get his life back in order. Husbands, let's look at husbands. You're instructed to, verse 25, love your wives. Verse 28, you're instructed to love your wives the same way that Christ loves the church as their own bodies. Verse 29, your love should be nourishing and cherishing. Verse 33, you are to love your wife as yourself. One thing that my grandpa said on the tape that I listened to was that the husband's job is to be the lover and the leader. The lover and the leader. I like one of those. Um, the other is a little bit harder to do. But husbands, we are the, the lovers and the leaders. Leadership, headship, what this is talking about, we get the wrong idea about headship. Headship simply means responsibility. That's what headship means. So when it says that the husband is the head of the wife, what it means is that before God, husbands, you are responsible for your wife. You are responsible to God for how you treat her, lead her, serve her. This is why when Adam and Eve sin in the garden, even though Eve ate first, who does God call for? Adam. Because Adam is the head. Adam is responsible. So husbands, we are the responsible party. But many women and wives recoil at the idea that husbands would have headship. And the reason why is, listen, uh, wives, the reason why you recoil is because you're thinking of leadership through the culture's lens. You're thinking of leadership through the world's lens. Jesus taught us what leadership looks like in the kingdom, and it's very different than the culture. In Matthew chapter 20, this is what Jesus said to his disciples. He said to them, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles, that's the world's culture, that they lord it over the people they lead, and that their great ones exercise authority over them. That He says, you know that the leaders of the world are very domineering. But he says in verse 26, for my people, it shall not be that way among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. 
And whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Listen, we approach marriage a lot of times with the the world's culture and, and the world's system and the world's way of thinking, even when it comes to what leadership is. And if we do, we will fall into a trap of the enemy. Jesus gives us the example of what a leader looks like. Jesus says, I didn't come to to be served, but to serve. Jesus says, I didn't come to to sit on a throne. I I came to, to go to the cross. I came to get on my hands and my knees and to sacrifice. That's what leadership looks like in the kingdom. And that's what husbands are called to do. Husbands are called to lead and love in such a way that is sacrificial, not us sitting on a throne in our house called the lazy boy and being served, but us serving our families and loving our wives and loving our children in such a way, the Bible says, that it nourishes the soul. And this type of leading and this type of loving, it takes effort, men, And submission takes effort, ladies. One of the biggest lies of our culture is that true love is effortless. That it's so easy, you don't even have to do anything. You just fall into it. We just fell in love. We weren't even trying. We didn't even know what was happening. And we just plop, fell into it. The true, that's a great lie of our culture, that true love and that a, a marriage that is filled with love, that it is effortless. Let me tell you, it is not effortless. Anything worthwhile in life takes work. I know that's a four letter word, but let me tell you, it takes work. It takes work to be the head of the household. It takes work to be responsible. It takes work to love and to sacrifice and to serve men. You need to know that to lead your family, it's going to take work. It's going to take sacrifice, you sacrificing personally. And our submission to Christ, we, as we submit to Christ, it flows out of his sacrificial love for us. Christ's love that husbands are called to love with, it is a Calvary kind of love. It's a cross kind of love. Christ's love that men and husbands are called to love with, it is a foot-washing kind of love. It is a diaper-changing kind of love. Man, I could have got an amen from the wives on that. Jeez. Trying to help you out here. Jesus, even though he is the head, what does it look like? It looks like serving looks like him taking responsibility. It is authority coupled with unparalleled humility and love. And so Jesus, even though he is not responsible for our sin because of his love, he says, I'll be responsible. I'll pay the price. I will sacrifice. That's what husbands are called to do. They're not called to be served. They are called to serve That's what headship looks like. It looks like me doing whatever it takes 
to ensure that my family is growing, is flourishing, is, is experiencing the kingdom of God in our home. We should love our wives in such a way that they grow in their relationship with God, in their love for the Lord. Husbands, is your wife more like Jesus because she's married to you or in spite of you? Is it your poor leadership that causes the character of Christ to come out? Or are you creating an environment where she can grow in the image of God that he has bestowed upon her? As the head of the home's husbands have an added responsibility and an authority given by God. And it's our job, husbands, to use that authority to cultivate God's kingdom in our home. What this means is that it's the husband's job to initiate prayer in the home. It's the husband's job to cultivate an environment where God's word is central in our home. Husbands, it's your job to teach your children God's word. It's not your wife's job. It's not the church's job. The Bible says, husbands, it is your job to teach your children God's word. Husbands, it's your job to teach your children how to pray. It's your job to teach children to value God's house and to value worship. And let me tell you, doing this requires personal sacrifice. Doing this requires putting aside what you want to do that day and saying, I'm going to use this time, I'm going to use this day to cultivate the kingdom of God in my home. And if you will do this knowing full well that it requires significant investment of time, energy, effort, focus, and resources, if you will dedicate to doing this as a husband and as a father, listen, God will give you the strength to do it. God will give you the strength. I understand what it means to be tired, to come home, and to want to come home to a place where all the kids are in bed already. And the house is perfectly clean, and there's a hot meal on the table with two candles going, and a wife that looks like she just stepped out of a magazine. I understand that life would be wonderful that way, and I understand what it means to come home tired and it not quite be exactly like that, but it is in those moments where we are called to demonstrate the character of Christ to serve, not to be served, to get in and to do whatever it takes to make sure that the family is successful, to lead them in God's word, to lead them in prayer. And if we will do it, God will give us strength, but we have to step out in faith. Husbands, can your wife trust that you have a flourishing relationship with God? Does she see it in your lives? I want to tell you, you'll make her job a lot easier if she can see that you're a man of God. If she can see that you love God and that you're pursuing God and that you're a man of prayer, as imperfect as you are, you'll make her job a lot easier. Are you a man of prayer? Are you a man of the word? Do you love God? Look, you don't have to be a theologian to be the spiritual leader of your home. All of God's commandments are summed up in one word, love. Love God and love your neighbor. And if you'll just be about teaching your children to love God and to love others, man, that's all it takes. You don't have to be a theologian. 
You don't have to understand every other eology and every doctrine. You don't have to understand all of that. But what you do need to do is take initiative in the home and say, let's pray. Let's read God's word. Let's go to church. Husbands, don't let your wife be the one dragging you to church. As the head of your home, your, your children will see this and they'll say, it's not important to dad. It's not going to be important to me. Husbands, you should be the one who get up, gets up first on Sunday morning. Amen. I'm just meddling with people. <laughs> Conclusion. Let's, conc let's bring this in for a landing. The ultimate issue in marriage is this. Are you submitted to the lordship of Jesus Christ? We both must be submitted to Jesus as husbands and wives. If we do this well, the wife will give a picture of the church to the world. The husband will give a picture of Christ to the world. And ultimately, our marriage will glorify God. And his kingdom will be established as we seek first after it. If my marriage is all about me, I've got it all wrong. It should be all about glorifying God. And so let your marriage be an offering of worship as you love, as you forgive, as you serve, as you submit, as you lead, as you come together as God has brought you together. Now, if you're here today and, and you say, you know what, I, I am married and I have not been living this way, what do I do? Maybe you're a wife and you just undercut your husband at every decision that he makes because he's a total buffoon and an idiot. And he may be a total buffoon and an idiot. He might be. I don't know. Nevertheless, God's word calls you to submit to him as unto the Lord. And you say, well, how do I do this? Where do I start? Listen, whenever we're going in the wrong direction, the way to stop is you stop. And you turn around and you go in the opposite direction. The Bible calls that repentance. So if you're here today and you say, I haven't been submitting to my husband, I feel convicted by the Holy Spirit and God's word today, what do I do? Stop. Go to the Lord in prayer. Repent. Ask for forgiveness. Go to your husband. Repent. And then ask the Lord for his power. And God will give you the strength. Husbands, if you haven't been leading and serving and, and, and being the 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 one who is expressing love and tenderness and showing it sacrificially, verbally, stop. Go to the Lord, repent, ask for forgiveness. Go to your wife, repent, ask for forgiveness. Ask for the Holy Spirit's power in your life, and he will give it to you. And then you will experience, as God's people, living in God's power, under God's rule and authority, you will experience the blessing of the kingdom of God righteousness, peace, joy, and love flowing through as a manifestation of God's Spirit. Amen. What I want to do today uh, as we close this uh, section on the kingdom of God in marriage, um, I'd like to have the married couple stand. If you're Hopefully you're together. Hopefully you're sitting together. If you're not, go find your spouse. Uh, I'd like to just pray over the couples uh, this morning. Let me say something about singleness as the uh, married couples are standing. 
If you're here today and you're single, and we've been spending some time on marriage the last few weeks, I want you to know that you are not left out of God's plan. You're not left out of God's plan. Singleness is not a curse. You can accomplish a lot for God as a single person. I don't know if you know this, but Jesus was single. The Apostle Paul was single. Uh, Most likely, Timothy was single. A lot of people in the Bible accomplished incredible things without ever being married. So if you're here today and you're single and say, I feel left out, listen, next week we'll be off of marriage. Don't worry, I'm going to come for you next week, single people. Don't worry. You're going to have your day next Sunday. Don't worry. You can accomplish a lot for God. There's no limit to what you can accomplish for God. Not having a wife or a spouse is not a limiting factor on what you can accomplish for God, period. If you believe that it's a lie of the enemy, you need to reject it. You can look at all the examples in Scripture, incredible things that God accomplished through single people. Finally, marriages, uh, husbands and wives, take the hand of your spouse. And um, I want to pray a blessing over you, and I want to ask you uh, to repeat after me. So repeat this after me. Heavenly Father, thank you for my spouse. I receive her or him. Well, whatever. Hopefully you said the right one. I receive them as a gift from you. Help me to be the spouse you have called me to be. Help me to serve and sacrifice and submit as you have called me to do. Thank you for your spirit's power. In Jesus' name. Father, I thank you for these couples. I thank you for their determination and their desire, Lord, to to express your kingdom in their marriage. Lord, I pray that every plan of the enemy that would bring division between them would be thwarted through your power, that no weapon formed against them will prosper. Lord, that Destiny Church would be a place of healing in marriage. Lord, that those who are broken and those who have been hurt in the past, Lord, that they would experience the healing power of your love. Lord, your love that breaks down walls and breaks down barriers, and Lord, a love that, that we can trust. Lord, I pray that your love would be expressed in our marriages. Lord, we can't do it in our own strength. God, we fall and fail so many times every day. But with your strength and with your power and with your spirit, we can live as your people and see your kingdom expressed in our marriages. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.